welcome to the GBC Sermon Podcast from Gaimia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. This message from our Sunday church service is part of the resources we provide as we seek to see lives changed by Jesus. You could also listen to our Big Three podcast, a conversation that unpacks three big questions raised from sermons like this one. You can find more information about Gaimia Baptist Church as well as discipleship resources and an opportunity to join us in person or online on our website, gaimiabaptist.org.au. Well, hello and welcome to church, everyone. My name's Matt. I'm one of the associate pastors here, and it's great to have you joining us for another Sunday evening church. So I'm sure at one point you would have heard the saying, the beauty of hindsight, right? This idea that if I knew then what I know now, I might have done more, I might have been able to say the right thing, do the right thing, know what I was actually navigating. I would be better prepared, better equipped, better positioned to kind of learn and grow and respond the way I kind of wanted to. And normally when I hear someone say the beauty of hindsight, there's a dismissive tone to it. This kind of idea of, oh, well, it's a missed opportunity, nothing we can do now, let's just move on. And I actually think that hindsight is not something that we regret, something that we just dismiss, something that we just go, oh, well, I stuffed up, let's move on. But it's actually an opportunity. It's a practice to look back at something important and consider how we might have grown, how we can learn for it, how there's still something in our past that can impact our present and our future. And particularly the beauty of hindsight, it's beautiful because it means that there's still opportunity even when opportunities passed, and particularly for us as followers of Jesus. And it's the beauty of hindsight that kind of launches this series for us, the prelude to the passion, where we're looking at the Gospels and the last story, the last narrative, the last interaction, moment of Jesus' ministry before he enters into Jerusalem, just days before he is arrested, tried, and executed, just days before he is resurrected. And there is so much that we know about the cross. We have the beauty of hindsight. For those there in that moment, for those watching the healing of Bartimaeus, it would have just been another regular day of Jesus' ministry. He's always doing things like this, you guys. But for us, we know. We know what's coming. We know what is about to occur, and we know what it represents. We know that in the cross, in his death and resurrection, Jesus is bringing in something new. He is offering something new. He is creating something that has never been done before, never been achieved before, never been available to us before. And there is an opportunity for us with the beauty of hindsight, knowing what the cross is, knowing what is achieved there, to look back and ask the question, if I knew then what I know now, what does it tell me? What does it teach me? What does it offer for me in my growth as I seek to follow Jesus? Because the thing is, is that Jesus, long before the cross, he was pointing us towards it. He was pointing us towards the grace that would be available to us, that is available to us because of what he achieved there. 
He's pointing us to it, not just in his words and his teachings, but in his action. And so for us, as we look with the beauty of hindsight at those final moments of Jesus' ministry before the cross, there is a lesson for us to learn about what this grace looks like. What exactly is it that Jesus is offering? What is this new thing? What is now available to us? What can I learn from the past with what I know now? And so tonight we're starting in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, starting at verse 46. And for me, the lesson about grace, what is being made available to us, is found in three different responses throughout this interaction, throughout this miracle. It's found in the response of Bartimaeus, in the response of the crowd, and the response of Jesus himself. So, if you have your Bibles with you, open them up, or the Version app, and we'll jump into Mark chapter 10. And it all starts with Bartimaeus. He starts this conversation. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I'm not sure if you understand how extraordinary it is for someone like Bartimaeus to approach, to initiate, to begin a conversation with someone like Jesus. It was unheard of. He's a blind beggar on the side of the road. He is at the bottom of the social ladder. He has no status, no influence, no, no standing whatsoever. And even in the way in which he calls out to Jesus, he's acknowledging what should be a power imbalance in this relationship. When he identifies Jesus as the son of David, there is a messianic implication in that. He is acknowledging that Jesus isn't just a rabbi, he isn't just a holy man, he isn't just a powerful man, he is the son of David, the seed of David, the promised Messiah, the saviour that they've been waiting for. He understands that Jesus is the one that was promised, the one with all power, all authority, the one that was bringing in something new. And then he says, have mercy on me. Mercy, the one thing that he cannot give himself, the one thing that you can never earn, that you can never deserve, but that has to be given freely to you. He asks for the one thing that Jesus can give him, that only Jesus can give him. There should be a power imbalance in this interaction in this relationship, and yet something allows Bartimaeus to approach. Something gives him an opportunity, the space to ask. There is a, an assumed invitation to advocate for himself. And I think in this, in this simple moment of Bartimaeus starting this conversation, of calling out first, of being the one to initiate, he tells us something really profound, really significant, really important about what grace is. Bartimaeus teaches us the dignity that God has granted human beings, the dignity to speak, to cry out, to specify what we need and to exercise our voice. 
Bartimaeus is demonstrating to us that there is something powerful in advocating for our needs. There is something available. There is a space available for us in the, in the discourse, in the discussion, in the, in the dialogue of grace that allows us, despite a power imbalance, despite that we bring nothing of worth, despite that he holds all the power, Jesus Christ holds all the power, yet there is space granted for us to speak on our behalf. There is space for us to take to claim as our own and say, this is what's going on for me. This is what I need. This is my struggle, my challenge, what I think I might deserve. There is something powerful in advocating for our needs. And like Bartimaeus, when we take up that space, when we claim the part of grace that is being given to us to speak, we too, like him, can be given eyes to see, to see grace at work, to see the shape that it can take, the opportunities available to receive it. There is something significant about initiating the conversation, about stepping out in faith and saying, this is what I need. And it, it allows us the ability to see. There is something really different in the experience of when you receive something you need. There is something really different when it's something you didn't realize you need, but you get it anyway, as opposed to something that you really needed. When you kind of get something and you realize after the fact, oh, this is really handy, like, this is good, I needed this, I didn't realize. Sure, we're happy about it, but it, we almost have a tone of it's coincidence. And we're very quick to move on. We take what we didn't ask for, we use it, and we go about our day. But when we receive something that we really needed, that we've kind of yearned for, that we've struggled without, when we receive it, it is profound. Our gratitude overflows. We, we treat it as something precious, something that we never want to be without ever again because we know what it was like before we had it. When we take up the space to ask for the things that we need before the cross, we are then better able to identify and understand the grace that God gives us. We are better able to see what He is doing, how He responds, and what He is providing. When we initiate the conversation of grace, when we use our voice and call out for mercy, when we understand exactly what we need, then when we receive, we are filled with an outpouring of gratitude. We hold it like the treasure that grace is, and we know what life is without it. It helps us understand the grace that we need to see grace when we receive it, and to better understand the one who gives it. Speaking and using our voice for what we need opens our eyes to know God more. It opens up a, a conversation that is vulnerable, that is authentic, that is 
true and good and real and raw. And when we do that with the provider of grace, we're able to see how he works in that space. And I believe that when we do it as a community of faith, we get to experience what church is really meant to be about. Sometimes it starts with going to the cross to speak of our needs, and sometimes it starts in community. It starts in the church to be vulnerable and honest. And yet, when Bartimaeus claims that space, when he steps out and declares that he needs mercy, that he needs something of Jesus that he can't claim for himself, there is another response that occurs, and it's the crowd. In the version that I read this week, it was many sternly ordered him to be quiet. And I think that this, this response reflects an attitude that permeates not just within the Gospels, but within our context today. There is this resistance, this opposition to vulnerability, to, to voice. We like it in principle, and, and particularly in today's context, we, we advocate for the ability to advocate. We want people to use their voice, and yet sometimes when we experience it in practice, we, we don't like it as much. It can make us feel uncomfortable. It can lead us to question their motives. Why did they share that? It might make us fearful of what it costs us because maybe what they have shared might require me to do something different, to act differently, to say differently. And I think that, that there is this undercurrent of culture that oppresses genuine, authentic, raw expression. And it creates a culture of silence, which is so counterintuitive to the way in which we were designed. The construct of grace that Jesus demonstrates for us in the way in which he did ministry, in the way in which he restores all things, demonstrates that God has insight into how we function as human beings. He understands that there is something powerful in sharing. He understands that there is something important in being open. And he also understands that silence hurts us and it blinds us. It is a special kind of pain when you have something that you're going through and you want to talk to someone about it, but you don't want to burden them. And so you just sit in it, drowning in your own thoughts. There is something in our culture that tells us that to speak out is weak or burdensome or attention-seeking. And it forces us into silence. It forces us into ourselves and it breaks us off from community. If vulnerability is the church then silence is its poison. Jesus' greatest resource for depositing his grace and distributing his grace in our life is the people that he puts around us, the community that he builds for us, the church 
that he's given to us. God understands that silence hurts us. And he also understands that it blinds us. I don't know what would have happened if Bartimaeus hadn't called out for help. Maybe Jesus would have kind of walked a little bit and then turned around and been like, mate, that was a test, you failed, but I'll make you see anyway. Maybe he would have just kept walking and on to Jerusalem and Bartimaeus just would have remained there, quiet, blind, poor. Silence stops us from seeing because it does, it, it, it forces us to retreat into ourselves, to only consider the hurt and the pain of our struggles, the, the lack of what we have and, and the, the yearning for what we need, that we don't actually look outside of ourselves. We're less likely to notice what is occurring, the opportunities that might be available to us. We are less likely to see the plans and the grace of God unfolding around us. Too often, for whatever reason, whether it's ourselves or those around us, we feel an order to be quiet. And it hurts us and it blinds us. And it is not what Jesus asks for. Which brings me to the third response, the one that struck me the most when I first read this passage. And it was the response of Jesus. What can I, what do you, what do you want me to do for you? There is this tone within the Gospels, I find, that Jesus is constantly being interrupted by unanticipated human need, that he's constantly being stopped by unscripted cries for mercy, that Jesus just wants to go about from temple to temple, town to town, doing and preaching his message. And yet all these needy people just keep interjecting, keep stopping, keep interrupting him. And yet I actually don't think that's something Jesus dislikes. In fact, I think that that's his true agenda, to be available, to be interrupted, to be ready for the unexpected, the unanticipated, to just be available for people to jump in. This is Jesus' true agenda. And him coming and dwelling amongst us invokes, it invites, it empowers a truly human reply to cry out for mercy, a persistence in faith that might yet make us well enough to see and to follow after him. The question that Jesus is asking, what do you want me to do for you? It is a question that implies that divine grace evokes and encourages our human voice and our human will. Jesus is not there with a formula. He's not there with this preconceived idea about what grace looks like and how it should be asked for and how it should be received. He's not about structure. He's not about routine. He's about the unexpected. 
those interrupted moments of genuine vulnerability, of honesty and, and raw voice where we, where we come with what we need and just lay it at the foot of the cross. And I think what Jesus is demonstrating for us in this, in this moment, in this miracle, is that although grace might be universal in its distribution, it is diverse in its application. Every single time that we bring our needs towards Jesus, every single time we speak of our experience, our hurt, our pain, what we require, we open up an opportunity to see the Creator God continue to create. Create new ways to meet with and new ways to meet the needs of His people. Jesus is not a one-size-fits-all kind of God. He is diverse and He is inclusive in the way that He distributes grace. He has a range to His understanding and a capacity to be present and to listen. Jesus is the one ready, ready to ask, what do you want me to do for you? Share with me your heart. Tell me what you need. I am the son of David. I am the giver of mercy. I am the one who has the power and authority. And I am here, willing, ready to hear what you need, to listen to your story and to disperse grace accordingly. This is the God who will leave the 99 for the one because the one has value. It has a voice to be heard and it has needs to be met. There is a beauty to hindsight because there is an invitation for us to look back and learn more. This is not just Jesus giving someone their sight back. This isn't just your standard gospel healing. This is a demonstration of the grace that we each are offered, that we can initiate a conversation with the creator of the universe, the giver of all peace, all mercy, all grace, and we can bring our needs to him in full vulnerability, unfiltered honesty, and lay them in his hands, place them on his shoulders, and he will provide for us all that we need. His response will not be, go away and do this, but you need to do that, but you're not worthy. His response will always be, what do you want me to do for you? It will always be an opportunity to be in partnership with the giver of grace. And if we take that space, if we open ourselves up to speak honestly, truthfully, vulnerably, then not only do we get to bring our needs to the Creator God, but we too will be given sight. Sight to see his handiwork. Sight to see his plans and purposes. Sight to see the grace that he bestows upon all of us 
as he seeks to restore and renew all things. Amen? The beauty of hindsight. Um, I'm going to invite the team back up. We're going to respond in worship, but as they come forward, how about I pray for us? Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a God who does not force us to conform, but actually calls us into community. Community with you, community with one another. Lord, you give us voice to speak, to share, to proclaim, to declare, to ask. And Father, I pray that as we take that space, as we take the opportunity, take the invitation to approach, to advocate, Lord, that our eyes are open more and more to the things of you, that we can be people who see not only what you're doing in our lives, but in the lives of those around us, Lord, that we can see those who might have needs and that we might be someone that you use in their story as you have been involved in ours. Lord, I pray that we can be people willing to interrupt you in what we need. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. We hope this message has challenged and strengthened you, encouraged you to pray and rely on God and blessed you today. If you'd like to get to know some of our church community, you can listen to the We Are The Church podcast, an open conversation with real people who call GBC home as they share stories of God at work in their lives and how their lives are being changed by Jesus.